Okay, we are going to keep talking about sonship, but um, everything I'm doing, I'm kind of building on what I've gone before, so let me briefly remind you what we've said before. It's important, this, this thing that I call sonship, because in one sense, it's what we use to describe a biblical model for healthy relationships, healthy discipleship, and satisfying and meaningful church life. It really is that important. If you get this and you start to grow in it, suddenly things become more satisfying, they become more meaningful, it becomes something that's not just something you do or a place that you go, but it becomes actually a community that you dwell in, that gives as much back to you as you give out to it. And um, we talk a lot about fathers and sons, but mothers and daughters and, and all that, it's not exclusive, I think. I think we know that, but it's not exclusive. And I'm going to use some slightly different language to help us think of it in a different way as well today. But in Galatians 4, verse 47, Paul talks of how God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So God has already sent the spirit of Jesus, who was the ultimate son, into your heart. So you already have the spirit of a son in your heart. The challenge, of course, is to outwork that. It's a seed that's in your heart. The challenge is to grow it. And Jesus, in John chapter 5, and verse 19 to 20, said, Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. And what's interesting about this is that between God the Father and God the Son, they are equal. There's no hierarchy. I don't believe one is better than the other or above the other, but they choose to take on different roles and different functions and different responsibilities. They operate equally, but the Son chooses to submit himself to the Father. It's a choice that he makes, a willing choice. The Father doesn't make him submit. He doesn't force him to submit. He chooses to submit so they can express something very special. And you read from these words, there can be no sonship without a relationship with the Father, nor can there be any true sonship without a deep humility and submission to the Father. So I suppose we could say it like this, if you got it there, just true sonship is only possible when, one, you understand you can do nothing by yourself. Two, you give yourself to only doing what you see the Father do. That's the end game. That's the ultimate place. You understand you can't do anything by yourself, and you give yourself to only doing what you see the Father do. That doesn't mean that you minimise yourself and say that you are nothing because you are something, but it's just you know that he made you be that something. That's a false humility to pretend that you're nothing and you're a nobody and you're not worth anything. That's nothing to do with the Christian faith and the Jesus I understand. You know you are somebody because he made you somebody, but you know it's he that made you it, it wasn't you that made you it. So it's all rooted and based in him. And in John 17, 20-23, we read that Jesus and the Father are one but also that Jesus prays we might enjoy the same kind of oneness with each other. That's what he prays. He goes, me and the Father were one, and that's an incredible thought to think how at one they are, but actually he says, it's my prayer that you would experience exactly the same oneness together. His prayer is we might learn to be one in the same way that him and the Father are one. Or you could say that Jesus prays we might love one another in the same way the Father and Son love one another. Which I know often seems a long way away. But just because it seems distant doesn't mean it's saying we shouldn't strive together. Just because it seems impossible to some people doesn't mean it's saying impossible to journey towards that point. 
The invitation is to walk in oneness with those around you as father and son walk in oneness together. And that's what he wants, oneness. We said this, oneness is unity, not uniformity. Uniformity is everybody being the same, looking the same, speaking the same, saying the same, acting the same. That's uniformity. The father and the son are not uniform, they are different. They're all different, but they are together in unity. Of course, the truth is that the Christian faith is really all about relationship. That's what it's really all about. The whole Bible is a story of relationships. It's a story of families. It's a story of people working out this relationship with God and relationship with each other. And most of the New Testament is all about how to be in a relationship with one another. And yet, we still manage to make it about lots of other things. But the truth is, it's actually about relating together. So John 15 and verse 10 to 12 says this. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The problem is, we read that and we go, if you keep my commands, and we immediately start thinking about things we've got to do or not do. Most of us immediately start going, oh yeah, but I did this wrong, or I didn't do that, and I've got to do this, or I've got to do that, and I've got to do the other. And we kind of make it all about commands and regulations and merit and how well we achieve against some laid out rules. And of course, what that does is bring us misery, despite Jesus saying that it's that we might be joyful. And of course, that's because we forget or misinterpret what his commands are all about. But he says it really clearly. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. And of course, if you think about it, it's, a bit, it's quite simple, really, because it's not about how much we do this or do that, or don't do this or don't do that, but about how our love for one another is developing and growing. In other words, it's about our relationships. For me, that can be the only real mark. I'm not bothered whether you've got five PhDs in theology. If you can't love somebody, you've not met Jesus yet. If you can't get on with people from different walks of life and different cultures and different communities, if you can't manage to converse and love those who struggle in all sorts of various ways, then you've not quite understood Jesus yet. You might be able to pray all night and go to many conferences and have a million degrees, but actually, surely it's about learning to love each other. Because his commandment is to love one another. But more than that, again, you see this link between how Jesus loves us and how we should love one another. Love each other as I have loved you. This is a high bar, Jesus says. Isn't it? It's a high bar. Because he loves you unconditionally. He loves you without doubt. He loves you no matter what you do. And that's why most of us go, well, that's not going to happen then, is it? Because We've not really seen it very often, if at all. But I refuse to reduce the gospel down to what I've currently passedly seen. I'd rather try and get our culture and our life and our family to live up to what Jesus says than live down to what I've previously experienced. But his command, and of course, that will demand some changes in our lives to love each other in that way. Which is why this is so important, because it's only as you understand what it means to be a son to those around you that you can live like that. It's only as you learn to grasp his heart. That's why I said, you know, those of you who didn't quite respond to that song, 
And that's okay, it wasn't meant for everybody. But if you didn't respond to it, you've got to catch the heart of it. Because that's his heart. And if it didn't move you in any way, shape or form, well, that tells you something about whether you've caught his heart yet or not. If it doesn't touch you in any way, shape or form, you've got to go, okay, there's something I've got to learn then about his heart for the afflicted and the oppressed and the lonely and the broken. And it says there that this idea of loving each other is so our joy may be full. I don't think I ever feel my joy than when I'm with people I know I can be me with. It's very releasing, isn't it? When you're around people who know you can be you with. So it's a joyful place. And there's, sometimes there's nothing worse than when you're with people, when you're trying to like watch what you say and catch what you say and worry about this, that and the other, and you end up shutting half of you down in case you upset somebody or they upset you. That's not joyful, is it? That's misery. That's why your joy becomes full, because when, when you come to a place where you can walk in some relationships where, where you actually know that you're loved and you love them and they're not looking out for you or judging you and you're not watching every word just in case they might think this or that about you. I was with somebody a little while ago and every few moments they'd kind of roll back on what they said just to make sure I didn't think this about and then they'd roll back and, and I cast it. But what does that tell me? It tells me they've not yet experienced unconditional love. I don't blame them for that person. I didn't think, oh, insecure little. No, I thought, bless them. Nobody's yet been able to sit with them and teach them what it means to be secure in who they are. That saddens me, it pains me. But community, relationship, I want to look at one particular part of relationship, which is honour. Romans 12 and verse 10 in the Passion Translation says this. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honour of one another. Oh, I love these like. Because, you know, part of you just goes, oh, flipping it. Oh, my Lord. And then part of you goes, oh, I want to be in a, in a community like that. I want to be in a place where people are outdoing one another, not because they want to get one up on each other or they want to prove something, but just because they want the best for somebody. I want to be in a place where we have to go, no, no, we've, we've got sufficient now. Hold back. Don't go and get anything else for the food bank. They, they, they don't have any room to store it. I want to be in that place. Be devoted. Devotion. It's a strong word, isn't it? Be devoted. Wow. To tenderly. Loving your fellow believers as members of one family. It's clearly personal. You can't be devoted to somebody and it not be personal. And this is not to some, this is not to the elders or some super, this is an open letter to the whole of the church in Rome. This is to everybody. It's not him just writing to, his, to Timothy who's heading up all these churches. He's like, no, this is for everybody. This is for everybody and anybody. Paul's desire was that all the members of the household were devoted to each other. But God's heart's always been to honour. Way back in Deuteronomy in chapter 5, he says this. Honour your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Because we know this, there's something about honour that results in something coming back to you. Every time honour's mentioned in the Bible, or most of the time anyway, there's a reciprocal thing that goes on. Or, if you don't honour, there's something that... So, so Peter, for example, says, Husbands, honour your wives, lest your prayers go unanswered. In other words, there's, if you don't honour, it blocks something. 
And if you do honour, it releases something. There's this kind of flow somehow. And of course, who wants to live long and it go well with you? Anybody want to live, live long and it go well with you? Okay. So there's a promise. But in order to get the promise, you have to live according to the process. You can't just claim the promise without living according to the process. And, and we seem to have missed this a little bit. Because of course, this command wasn't... I don't understand why we teach this to children either. It, it wasn't like Moses at this point went, all right, adults, you sit down, I'm just talking to kids now. He told it to everybody. Everybody was there. But I want to think a little bit wider. Because... I want you to think not just, not just of parents, but think about those who care for you. Who cares for you? We'll get on to it a bit more in a minute. But when, when, I, when I want you to think of this, I want who cares for you and who do I care for? Think in those terms. It's a bit easier. Because we get a bit strung up on parents. And sometimes when we talk about this stuff and about mums and dads in the church, we, some people get a little bit like legalistic about it. And they kind of desperately think they've got to find somebody new or create the... No, 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 just, just who cares for you and who do you care for? Think about it in those terms. Because, of course, it's not just your natural parents. It's whoever cares for you. Who cares for you at work? Who do you care for at work? Who do you care for at the home? Who cares for you in the home? Wherever you find yourself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12 to 13 says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, so this is for everybody in the church in Thessalonica, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, live in peace with each other. You see, this isn't just for certain people, it's forever cares for you. Who cares for you? You have many people that care for you. If you think about it, you have people that care for you one way or another. They might not care for you as much as you might like, but they, they might care for you. There are people, and there are people that you care for. So, so really, when I'm, when I'm talking about this idea of sonship on a natural level, then ask the question, who cares for me? And then when you know that answer, start acting as a son to them, honour them, bless them, hold them in the highest regard in love. So it's not, this is not about, oh, I need, to go, I need to go start all these new relationships, or find this, or find that. It's, not about, it's definitely not about titles and getting legalistic about it. It's about learning to love one another in a very real way. And the question is very simple. You got that slide there, Josh? So don't, don't ask, well, who, 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 who fathers me in the Lord? No, ask this question. Who cares for me? Who looks after me? Who looks out for me? It's just a much easier question to answer, and it gets rid of a load of nonsense that they, they then miss the point for. And whoever that person is, learn to honour them. And remember this key point. Your future is not dependent on the quality of those who care for you. Of course, they must actually care for you to some degree. Because I realise some parents have not cared, they've actually damaged. I understand that. But many people have people who care for them. But because they don't care for them how they want to be cared for, they decide they're not going to honour them. That is wrong. It's important that if somebody cares for you, you honour them. Think about David. David in the Bible was known as a man after God's own heart. But his father, his Saul, 
that we kind of looked to, who was his father in many ways, who was meant to care for him, tried to kill him at least twice. He chucked a spear at him, and then he chased him into the wilderness, desperately trying to kill him. You know what David did? One time, Saul needed a wee, so he went into a cave, and he stood there having a pee. David happened to be in the cave. And David goes, he had a prime, on more than one occasion actually, because one time I think he crept into the camp as well, he had a prime opportunity to kill him. And this time Saul stood there having a pee, I won't act it out for you, he's having a pee, <laughs> and David, David's hiding in the cave. Do you know what David does? David goes, takes a corner of his robe with his knife, and holds it. And then Saul walks out, and when he's walked a long way away, David goes to educate and goes, Saul, could have killed you, but I didn't. That, that is what it means to honour. And of course, you know, nowadays, well, that would be murder. Well, David had already done that, so murdering again wasn't really an issue for him. He'd already organised a murder, so he, he were already capable of doing that. He, won't, he didn't have the guts to kill him. He'd already done that already, along with adultery and a whole lot of other stuff. But anyways, but you see, even that, he gets it totally wrong, but God goes, he's after my own heart. Why? Because he had the heart of a son. Because he learned what it was to honour in all sorts of ways. So I just want to remind you what counts. What counts is what is in your heart, not, is what, not what is in other people's heart. Too often we assume that our progress, if you like, our growth is dependent on what's in other people's heart. Your growth is dependent on your heart. Because that's, that's the only thing you can control. I want to finish by looking at some words of Jesus in regard to how he honours the Father and how the Father honours him. We've already said the relationship between Father and Son is our model, and it's clear that Father and Son honour one another. But what you see is that they honour one another in different ways. So, that first slide, just John 8, 49 and 54. Jesus answered, I don't have a demon. He's been accused of having a demon. He says, but I honour my Father, and you dishonour me. And then he talks a bit more, and then he says, If I honour myself, my honour's nothing. It is my Father who honours me, of whom you say he is your God. So in English, you can't see what the difference is, other than that they honour each other. But then when you go and look at the Greek words behind the English, you see that they're actually different. Have you got the next one there? I don't have it in, but I honour Timeo, my Father, and you dishonour me. And Jesus says, If I doxazdo myself, my honour doxa is nothing. It is my Father who honours doxazdo me. So, they do honour one another, but they use completely different words to use it. So Jesus goes, I timeo my father, but my father as does me. Next one, Josh. Timeo means to fit. And the father renders the son glorious. They honour one another, but do it in completely different words. Now, the foundational kind of biblical meaning of honour is the giving of wealth or adding of value to. That's what it means to honour. It means to, to add value to or, or, or give wealth to. So we could say this then. Next slide, Josh. To honour someone is to enrich someone. To honour someone is to make them better off than before your interaction. In whatever way better off means. Financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally. To honour someone is to enrich someone. It's to make them better off. Can you see why a community that honoured one another would be a beautiful place to be? Because a community that dishonours 
automatically means that it's accruing to the next people worse off than before their interaction. Dishonor means you make somebody worse off. Honor means you make somebody better off. Which is why it's so important. Because as a community of people in your communities, you have the opportunity to make people better off than when they interacted with you. But when we don't carry honor in our hearts, we make people worse off, and that is, of course, not the heart of the Father. So, remember, the Father and Son are equal, but they have differing roles. But a son, somebody who is cared for, will be looking to value those who care for him. They'll be looking to serve and bless in any way they can. And mums and dads, fathers and mothers, those who care for other people, are always looking to make those they care for more glorious. What does that mean? Well, to make somebody more glorious means to bring the glory of the one who is in them out of them. Who's in you? Jesus. So, so, so if you're looking after anybody, your job is to bring Jesus out of them. It's to help them deal with those things that make Jesus' don't shine out of them, no matter where you are at. And, and this works everywhere. It works in the workplace, regardless of whether they know Jesus or not. There is some good on the inside of them, and they need help with that goodness being brought out. They might not yet have learned that it's Jesus, but that's your job to show them that as well. But actually, your job for caring for anybody is how can I bring more goodness out of you? How can I help more goodness flow out of you? How can I help you with those things that stop goodness flowing? those fears, those insecurities, those weaknesses. How can I help you with them? That's the job of a carer. Whether it's a natural child, whether it's somebody in your workplace, whether it's somebody who looks to you as a mum or a dad in Jesus, or somebody who cares for you, that's your job. That's my job. With anybody who looks to me and, and is asking me to care for them, my job, my primary focus, is not making their life easy. It's not making every valley high and every mountain low. It's causing them to be like Jesus doing everything I can to help him become like him. Because think of the Father. Did the Father make every mountain low and every valley high when it came to Jesus? No, because if not, he wouldn't have allowed him to die and go through all that. Life was not easy for Jesus. But is Jesus now glorified? Yes. We've got to get away from this idea that caring for people means making their life easy. It means caring for them. Which, of course, comes from a heart. And, and this is, ideally... Your first thought should be to make it easy for them. And then your second thought should be, no, I want to roll back on that. Because that tells you that you love them. Because if your first thought's, how can I make it hard for them? Well, there's a problem in there. <laughs> so your first thought's got to be, I just want to take all the pain away. I want to make it easy. I want to make it as simple as I can. And then the second thought's got to be, oh, no, but that's not actually going to help them be more glorious. That's just going to molly and grace. There's somebody who is cared for, somebody who is a son or a daughter, then it's our job to value those who are caring for us. So, for example, let's take me and Paul. Paul is a spiritual dad to me. He looks after me, he cares for me. We honour one another, but we don't honour each other in the same way. The role I choose to take, and it's a choice that I make, it's not anything he makes me do, is one way I add as much value to him as possible, serve him and bless him as much as I can. Which means that since I fix a value on him, that means I treasure his time, his company, his efforts on my behalf. I honour him by serving him, but also by valuing him highly, 
which will impact how I speak to him and how I speak about him. It will impact how I prioritize him and his words to me. And that's what he does with Derek. He looks after him. But it's not Paul's job to do that to me. It's Paul's job, as he does incredibly well, to render me glorious. It's his role to do everything he can to help me be like Jesus, encourage me, discipline me, admonish me, bless me, provoke me, and challenge me. We honor one another and serve one another in these different ways, and these ways are exactly that. Not better or worse, but different. And if we walk together in oneness, we must learn to start more and more to honor one another, to learn to walk together in even deeper ways than we've gone before. We've got to understand and recognize who cares for us and then start valuing them properly. It'd be a good thing to do. Just have a think. Who cares for me? Who looks after me? Do I value them? Have I told them that I value them? Have I just sent them a little note, a little text? You know, I, I was preparing this. I automatically just went, Paul, I just want to say thank you, blah, 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 which I do a lot. Most of my texts are just to him saying thank you, because it's wonderful. We must start treasuring those who care for us, treasuring their time, their company, their efforts on our behalf, serving them and valuing them highly, which will impact how we speak to them and how we speak about them. It will impact how we prioritize them and their words to us. And as those who care for others, we must understand our role is to make them more glorious and recognize those Jesus permitted us to look after. Do you know who God has given you to look after? Are they on your radar? Are you aware of them? And of course, I shouldn't need to say this, but I'm going to say it just to make sure. You know who's looking after you because they've asked you to look after them. Do you understand me? They've actually asked you to look, say, would you please look after me? Okay? Of course, if somebody's in your life group or disciples group, then, then of course you've got a little bit of a role to look after them. But actually, we don't just decide we're going to look after somebody. We don't decide we are going to make this person, oh, I'm going to make you glorious now. No, that's called control. It don't work like that. Okay, this is, this is all within the confines of choice and togetherness and walking together. But I want, you to, I want you to know as well, God puts people in our lives to care for us. And when they care for us, he expects us to honor them. Because that's what Jesus did. He honored his dad. To the extent that he didn't do anything, and I'm not suggesting that this is what you should do in your relationships, but to the extent that he only did whatever he saw his father do. And I don't take that to the nth degree. I don't think that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. But, but you understand me, that heart to go, okay, what's, what's father saying? What's father doing? What's, what's father on about? I, I am very, very blessed by where we are already at as a family in our relationships. And I'm already very, very blessed by all the things we've already learned. But I want to go deeper and I want more. Because I'm not, I feel like there's a greater depth somehow. There's a greater depth. And I, it's interesting. 
There seems to be a, a flow generally in the church for this sort of stuff. But we have like a 15-year head start, maybe a 20-year head start on most of the people. Because this stuff's like new to lots of people. They don't, they don't know it. They've certainly not experienced it. So you're very blessed because you already experienced some degree of it. And if you've not experienced some degree of it, I want you to let her know that it's possible. And I want you to keep listening because I'm going I'm to keep making it super practical. What does it actually mean to walk together? What do we do when we just can't stand somebody and we've had enough? We all feel like that. I felt like that. But what you do when you feel like that is really important. And actually, the more you learn the heart of the Father, the more you don't feel like that. The more you just feel the Father's compassion for those people. You, you don't get as angry at people anymore. You just get filled with, you just cry for them. Because you feel for them. Knowing that if they're acting like that, it says something about what they've not yet received and not yet experienced. And that breaks your heart. Shall we pray? Father, I want to thank you for the incredible model of you and Jesus. Lord, I just particularly want to pray, Lord, for those people who, who that just seems a complete impossibility because their experience of life is right at the other end of the spectrum. I want to lift those people to you, Father. And I want to pray, Father, that you would bring one to trust people that love them, Father. And Lord, we want to be a people, honour. We want to be a people that, that when we meet anybody and everybody, they are better off because of us. That we have honoured them and they are now enriched because of our interaction. They are not dishonoured. They are not poorer. They are not worse off, but they are better off. They are enriched because of us. Father, I want every interaction of my life to be an enriching one for those around me, Father. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us, Father. Thank you that the spirit of your son lives inside of us. The seed of your son is in us, Lord. And that ability to honour, Father, to both doxasdo and to me, oh, Father, to both render glorious and to both value is already in us, Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that more and more and more we'd operate out of it. Forgive us, Father, for that we might be better off and leave people better off, as you always did, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you.